It's quite simple, really. You just need to show you some film. You mean like going to the pictures? Something like that. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to another fantastic episode. I'm Mitch. And I'm Stefan, and this is Drag Mitch to Hell, the show where I subject poor Mitch to genre movies that I love, but believe he will hate. And then we talk about them. But uh, for now, Yovana, why don't you say hi? Gentlemen, always a pleasure. Always a pleasure. Always. always. I am super excited to hear whether or not you guys tear apart my one of my childhood favorite movies right now. <laughs> <laughs> I'm pretty stoked on this. As soon as I sent the the movie over to you, Ben, she's like, "Oh God!" Or like, I can't remember the exact. I was like, "This looks terrible." <laughs> Did was it the uh, like the poster that you saw, or was it like a a still or something? Or I think I googled it and then I read the brief description and I was like, uh, "I don't know." <laughs> <laughs> I mean, this. I so I think like I guess you and Mitch probably are more aligned in terms of like movie enjoyment. I think like I'm uh, I'm obviously more successful at dragging you to hell. I would say typically than Mitch. <laughs> uh, so much so maybe we'll change it to drag you Vanna to hell. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> How we'll fun see. for me. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, but. I guess we'll get started with uh, what we've actually picked today, uh, which we revealed on our Little Hell episode, which I'd recommend everybody listen to. Uh, they're going to be fun going forward. I'm excited to talk about random movies that we've been watching and or TV shows, trashy reality, hopefully. Uh, yeah. On our next episode, Mitch, I did watch an episode of Too Hot to Handle, and uh, we'll talk about it. <laughs> All right, perfect. <laughs> we'll talk about it. But for now, today, we're going to be playing some records backwards and hunt for satanic messages with 1987's The Gate. There is a passageway to the most evil place you can imagine. A gate behind which the demons wait to take back what was once theirs. Too late. 
So I picked this movie as it's kind of a childhood favorite of mine. Uh, I already told you, Mitch, but this is a, uh, a family friend who directed this, Tibor Takis. So my parents were like very, very proud of this movie as well as its sequel. However, I think I saw the sequel more as that's the the VHS copy that we actually possessed in our in our collection. So I watched that a lot. But this is the one that definitely was the like state of my mind much more like if you ask me to recall uh stuff from the sequel it's very like superficial story elements that you know like they don't amount to like what the conceit of the film is i couldn't actually tell you uh but you know uh, outside of that like the nostalgic factor of this movie for me it also has has elements of like you know the satanic panic this is about you know metal lps being played backwards and there's you know uh you know instructions that are uh, explicitly stated in in the vinyl, uh, and that really really works for me. And the reason why I picked it is because, like, obviously you don't have that nostalgic value at all. And you've made it quite clear most paranormal movies aren't really your like cup of tea. And I think that's like a fair. Uh, am I misrepresenting your taste, Mitch? Um, to a certain extent, maybe it's not that I dislike paranormal movies it's just i have a you know i find it scarier when it's something's more realistic to me like if i think it could happen because because i don't believe in ghosts and you know demons and things like that right so to me it's you know it's like make-believe but watching something with an actual sort of you know a tangible threat that could exist in the real world is more scary to me but i can still get into supernatural films uh it just you know maybe less so than certain other things okay well for somebody who actually is afraid of more paranormal stuff yovana what's your history with this movie and uh i don't think this like scared you right i don't hopefully not uh, <laughs> Tell me about, uh never history. heard of it never seen it didn't like it <laughs> yeah. a plus you didn't like young steven dorf you know what? I actually did like Young Steven Dorf, but we'll get into that. But overall, it just wasn't for me. But I will also say that I think I've never really heard of things like this, partly because it's not my type of genre to dig it into, but yeah. also because I am a immigrant child who was born in Belgrade, Serbia, in the former Yugoslavia, and came to Canada when I was seven. And even then, I had to learn English. And then also my parents weren't really into North American popular culture. So I just feel like I missed out on a lot of movies that people remember fondly from their child like people my age like yeah. you um so that might be part of it but also it just kind of never dawned on me so yeah I, I'm, I'm sure even if you saw this you probably you wouldn't think fondly back on it i imagine no <laughs> yeah but you do so that's great yeah I, I love this movie uh there's like a lot of like filmmaking uh like interesting filmmaking techniques that are used in this that seem like wildly outside of like the scope of most modern filmmaking because like budgets are obviously shrinking much more and you know for for you know this would be like an indie horror film today it would be made for like you know like like a million maybe three million and like a lot of the stuff that they pull off in this movie would just be like outside the realm of reality but uh anyways uh mitch I, i'm curious am i successful uh you were not successful Stefan. so oh. this this movie was like uh, it's a tale of two movies for me yeah. the first half of this movie i you know i was ready to be like okay like this really isn't you know my thing and also do something yeah. um but the second half of the movie actually picked up a lot 
And I thought were there certain genuinely creepy moments and some stuff that was just like unsettling to me. Uh, and by the end of the movie, I kind of enjoyed it actually. <laughs> oh, I'm, I'm actually this is this is good too. Uh, I think we're gonna probably focus on what Juventus doesn't like to hopefully like fulfill some segment of this uh, this podcast successfully. But um, that's that's cool. Uh, I, uh, well, I mean, like in my notes, like the first half of this movie is pretty boring. There's really very little that happens, and so like even wrote down like we're 40 minutes into this movie like do something movie because i'm waiting for demons and stuff and this movie's only 85 minutes long yeah um, it's but yeah, it's, so there, there's stuff here not to like uh, as well yeah could it, the, there's there's like multiple uh check off Chekhov's guns in this movie where they could have just like and they all involve like different scenes that could have been like fully chopped out like I don't have like full blinders on like I'm aware that there are ways to like improve this film for sure 150% we like I'm not like fully right. oblivious to the fact that you know we could fix certain segments of this movie but I do think that it actually progresses really really quickly and reading through my synopsis synopsis to make sure there weren't like glaring <laughs> violations of the english language in it uh i thought it actually got going pretty quickly but it could be the fact that i just condensed it down uh to a, a horrible reductive degree i don't know we'll see but why don't we just get into the synopsis and we can kind of see what works and doesn't work because that's largely what uh i'm game to hear uh you know sure. we're I need to become more successful because today uh, isn't happening, clearly. But, you know, uh, so we open in an idyllic suburb and we meet young Glenn, played by Stephen Dorff, as he bikes home only to find that it is eerily empty. He calls out for his sister to no avail. In her room, he finds a toy rocket that's been confiscated from him due to the fact that he burnt a hole in the roof. And will come to find that he's a model rocket enthusiast to near pathological degrees. Glenn eventually ambles into the kitchen as the door to the backyard opens, revealing a creepy old tree with a rickety treehouse nestled between its branches. Glenn, hearing a faint voice from inside, climbs into this treehouse, only to find a pretty creepy doll that emits the, the kind of mama sound he's been hearing. Suddenly, a lightning bolt rips through the tree, sending it crashing down to the ground. Young Glenn jolts out of bed from his nightmare to the sound of chainsaws cutting through the downed tree. Some aspects of Glenn's dreams appear to be oddly accurate. As landscapers hollow at the base of the tree, a small egg-like object pops out of its gnarled roots. Glenn quickly uh, snatches it up. Uh, and later, we're introduced to Glenn's best friend, Terry, played by Lewis Tripp. He's clearly a young metalhead with his jean jacket decked out with little studs, and I believe he has a back patch for the band Killer Dwarves, who are a Canadian metal band hailing from none other than Oshawa guys. <laughs> uh, Terry fills Glenn in that the object he's found is a geode or a lightning egg. Terry digs into the ground at the base of the tree in hopes of finding another geode, thinking they can get some serious money for a bigger one. Terry's shoveling causes the ground to collapse, revealing a tiny sinkhole. But for Terry, it's patered as he, as he found a massive geode, one that he believes will make the boys rich and fetch them $100. <laughs> All right, so this is our kind of our opening sequence where we're introduced to, uh, you know, two of our main characters. We have, we have Glenn and Terry, and Glenn is obviously kind of like our middle America golden boy, and then Terry is uh, kind of like the, you know, uh, as we'll see, uh, his parents don't view him as like a good influence, Uh so just general thoughts here. Uh, Mitch, what were you like? What, you, haven't, you haven't seen this before. I assume you didn't watch the trailer. 
on this opening sequence, what were your thoughts? Um, where are the parents? <laughs> that was that, my that's a question, question for largely for the rest of the film as well. I mean, but, yeah, that. Sure. but I mean, I don't know. Yeah, there's. I don't think there's a whole lot to unpack here, other than you know, like you said, you've got the sort of um, the golden-haired, uh, golden boy uh, Stephen Dorff here, uh, and I didn't realize he was this young. So you had mentioned that he was in this movie, and I wasn't familiar with the movie or really anything to do with it when it came out. So when I saw him on screen for the first time. And realized that he was like a child i thought he was like 15 16 in this movie that's what i was imagining before going into it so a little bit surprised at how young uh the the kids were in the movie and i know that you hate children with a, an immense passion <laughs> yeah uh, i was so surprised that. but yeah. uh but yeah no they seem like two two fine kids you know curious uh about geodes i guess uh <laughs> and yeah not a whole lot more I'm glad you brought that up because I had wanted to and I forgot. Yeah, this is a, a successful movie with children in it for me. Uh, it's the <laughs> rare instance where I'm like, yes, okay. Yovanna, uh, I guess similarly, like, opening sequence, I, I assume you're kind of probably already out at this point, maybe? I'm not entirely not sure. really. I was open to it. I was definitely okay. open to it. And I should clarify, you know, maybe I overstated the case. There are things I like about the film. It just kind of right. didn't hold together for me overall. And it's just not my my preferred genre and whatever but i actually really like the opening credits uh That's so good yeah and i really like the score throughout the film and uh you know when the credits roll it's a very obvious you're very obviously seeing the type of film out of which things like stranger things are made like it's an obvious homage to this this category this genre this period of time and then literally after the credits roll you no joke it opens on the kid on a bike on a suburban street which like nothing (laughs) could be possibly more stranger things slash every single other movie like that than this kid on a bike and i also uh like mitch didn't know that steven dorf was so young and i actually didn't know that he was a child actor at all i thought he was only a adult actor so um i thought it was cute and i thought it was fun to see him so young after having seen i had just recently watched blade so i was like oh it's yeah. the antagonist from blade fun so so far i'm in like so far i'm rolling along interested right, you know cool, open cool, to cool. it yeah uh yeah th- all that stuff is fair i think this is a a, a pretty good opening uh i i'm not uh, I don't get mad about the, oh, I'm in a nightmare and I wake up. Uh, what kind yeah. of works for me is the fact that some elements are actually true. And I think that uh, it feels like very off kilter to start the film. And I think that kind of like sets up in like this, like weird world that we're uh, about to open up. So uh, I, I'm on board. I like this. I don't find it uh, boring or grating, but uh uh, anyways, after this point, the two-catch side of Glenn's older sister, Al, or Alexandra, played by Krista Denton, who is chucking the model rocket from Glenn's dream into the garbage can. Uh, she quickly excuses herself to head to the mall with some of her friends, leaving Glenn and Terry to their own devices. Glenn, in particular, is a little bummed his sister has abandoned him because he clearly wants to spend more time with her, but alas, they're unfortunately growing apart. Suddenly, moths begin to pour from the sinkhole, signaling that it might be far more than just a hole. Uh, Terry then traps one of the moths in a jar and grossly asks how long Glenn thinks it'll live for. Glenn, I believe, rightly calls this sick. Uh, We're kind of getting a glimpse of, like, Terry's more odd uh, and destructive behavior. 
Glenn's father, played by Scott Denton, finds the boy's handiwork in the backyard and over the dinner table opts to ground Glenn and then decides to let Al babysit him while uh, he and his wife go on a romantic get- a weekend getaway. Uh, his wife is kind of like not uh, like the the mother of, of the film. Uh, they're just listed as mom and dad for, for credit's sake. But uh, she's played by Deborah Grover and she doesn't get too much play the parents in general are kind of just there for a hot second and then they just yeah. get rid of them right away uh which i kind of like because a lot of this movie hinges on like absurd reality that you think could only exist in like the head of uh younger children so uh i'm on board with all of this but uh glenn clearly not loving being grounded attempts to blame terry for the hole in the backyard his father uh is however immovable and kind of views terry as a bit of a troubled child slash bad influence this is further established as Glenn puts, uh, as Glenn's being put to bed and his father reminds him that Terry is likely destructive and acting out on account of losing his mother. The next day, Glenn's parents head off uh, for the romantic getaway, leaving our essential characters on their lonesome. And we immediately cut to Al having a party in her parents' home. And I think this is like one of the, the better cuts in the film. And it definitely feels like it could exist in something like Stranger Things to like Yovana's point earlier. I think this is like one of those moments that, you know, uh, it, it exists in this 1987 movie uh, and then, you know, repurposed, uh, you know, in, in current media, uh, largely popularized by Stranger Things. Uh, she seems to be spending most of the time cleaning up until a young hottie catches her eye and the two exchange flirtatious looks. Meanwhile, upstairs, Glenn watches as Terry tries in vain to break open his massive geode. Frustrated, Terry gives the geode another whack and it splits open, emitting a blast of purple smoke. The two find that the event has left weird symbols and odd words on a nearby Etch-A-Sketch-like toy. Uh, I have to ask, I don't know what this is. Um, I like It's not an Etch-A-Sketch, but it looks I also, to be like... I also was not clear on that. That was a question I had for you guys. Mitch? <laughs> no <laughs> idea. I didn't no realize clue. it was None even like an Etch-A-Sketch type toy. I thought it was like some weird like frame like with just... I don't. I don't honestly know. It just looked like something that had something's like scratched into it. I didn't realize it was like a an etch a sketch. It looked. It looked like one of those like magnetic filament things that you just you know can, you control the drawing yeah. and you can shake it away. I mean, I'm uh, looking at it right now, and if I saw this, <laughs> I would have been like, "These aren't words. This isn't anything." I you know just shake it and move on uh, rather yeah. than trying to because <laughs> it's very difficult to read this as any kind of actual writing. But uh, yeah. yeah, they did it. Yeah, <laughs> I don't like if you're going to find uh, demonic uh, words slash symbols, uh, I, I think an Etch-A-Sketch or in this case, an Etch-A-Sketch light. I don't know what you want to call it is probably the least uh, intimidating medium to, to communicate that message. <laughs> yeah, definitely. But I mean, <laughs> it's like I, I would agree at this point, if you're like, I don't that was stupid. I don't like it. I would say, you know, I. I agree. I don't think that's like a particularly effective way to, uh, you know, communicate, you know, that kind of messaging. And Glenn, like every hapless horror character, kind of utters the words that are on the toy, uh, Aka Kuto Alameda, uh, which kind of sounds like it belongs in like a surf rock song, like <laughs> Aka Kuto Alameda. Like it's oh just. <laughs> I did not see that coming, but okay, continue. I don't know. Like it doesn't feel. Boys. Yeah, like it doesn't feel uh, threatening in any way. Uh, it, it feels like uh, it's it's uh, a, a hot, sweet, uh, syrupy chorus in you know 
1970 song and uh that that makes sense and i'd enjoy it but uh uh glenn uh, having uttered these words uh we then cut to the uh, the sinkhole in the backyard which we see like smoke rising out of it and we then cut back to al's party where the group has abandoned dancing in favor of doing that whole light as a feather levitation party shtick which is a a downgrade in the party for sure uh that's when i would dip out uh the, the dancing was stopped. I'm not interested. I have uh, a question for you guys, and maybe you're going to touch on it in your synopsis here. But yeah. uh, they, we sort of lead into that like levitation with telling of like ghost stories, yeah, or like some sort of ghost type story. Has this ever happened? Like, are you guys familiar? Did you ever do this at a party where there's like where you're 15, 16 years old, and everyone's gathered around and you're telling ghost stories? It just it seems like it's a very common trope yeah. in, in yeah. movies and TV shows, yeah. but I don't ever re- recall having this experience. Maybe with, you know being like ten years old. Yeah, but I think this seems me, a little bit old to be like. And then they found the head. Right. Like, also the the guy who's telling the story is like twenty seven. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if you remember this. Absolutely, but. he failed senior uh, quite a few times. But. <laughs> yeah, uh, I just want to interrupt for a second talk about. The fact that we see a young Ingrid Vanninger, who's a Canadian actor and director. Yeah, she plays Paula. the girl who levitates the <laughs> kid. And I was like, huh, interesting little factoid. That's all. Yeah, yeah uh, one of the Lee sisters is Kelly Rowan as well. Uh, so I hadn't mentioned her yet because they don't haven't really factored into the story, but uh, she plays Laura Lori Lee, and uh, she's been in a ton of stuff, uh, all of which I can't name right now because I'm awful on the spot. However, I'm looking it up right now. Uh, she was in Candyman, Farewell to the Flesh. Uh, she was a hook. She played Peter's mother on that. You know, oh. she's she, yeah, she's done some stuff. Uh, there's a lot of really talented people on this. I don't think anybody does a particularly bad job uh, portraying their character. So it, like this movie doesn't fail in the acting department. That's for sure. 100%. But uh, back to Mitch's question. Uh, th- I definitely did that, but I agree. The age doesn't make sense. Like at, no. at 10, I was, I definitely did that. Yeah. 15. No. <laughs> 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 that, that did not happen. Um, uh, Yvonne, I assume you're uh, a similar camp, correct? Yeah, I think it was a little bit of a younger kids activity for them. And I also want to agree that uh, when the levitation happens, nobody really seems appropriately shocked or scared. <laughs> yeah, Everybody's no. just kind of like, oh, well, oh, well. Like he literally floats in the air. So <laughs> I don't know. I mean, maybe they all actually believe they have special powers and Possibly. they're just like, we, we knew we had it all. It was all it was in us all along, you know, <laughs> it's not a surprise. Uh, but yeah, this whole sequence is, is quite odd. So the group does lasso Glenn as kind of like their tribute for this group experiment. And Glenn begins to levitate beyond their fingers and up towards the ceiling where he crashes into a light, which, you know, like at that point, uh, the whole party stops. Like you're about, you're a child is about to like, <laughs> to like careen into the, the ceiling here. Uh, but alas, they're all kind of like, yeah, uh, I knew this was going to happen and it happened and I don't care. But uh, unfortunately, poor Glenn is embarrassed uh, by the events and kind of like runs crying back upstairs to his bedroom. 
Um, why why is he embarrassed? Because that's uh, uh, yeah, he, uh, he, yeah, he cried. He was, right. like, he was frightened because uh, he's the only person who has a realistic reaction. <laughs> yeah, exactly. He's the only one who appropriately recognizes the magnitude of levitating. Like, yeah, everyone else is just, you know, what, you never levitated before, kid? <laughs> yeah, yeah. You don't levitate, bro? <laughs> anyways uh in the middle of the night terry gets up to go pee uh, leaving glenn all alone who then wakes to the silhouette of moths coating his bedroom window glenn then notices the walls begin to shift as if something's pressing on them trying to get out meanwhile uh on his path to the bathroom terry sees an image of his deceased mother the two embrace until terry's mother is replaced by glenn's dog angus I probably should have introduced him earlier, but here we are. Uh, Angus collapses as our poor puppers has sadly expired. Glenn and Al come upon the scene and grieve at the side of their expired family dog. I think you need uh, to put some more description in here. This kid tosses that dog on the floor. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's not just like, oh, he's embracing the dog and the dog dies. It's like, no, he he realizes he's embracing a dog and throws it on the ground. So, so all right. Uh, we, we didn't touch on the scene where, like, uh, Terry kind of, like, aggressively pushes Angus away, saying that he smells or something like that. And then, and then Glenn corrects him, saying that, like, you know, you'd smell too if you were 97 years old. Like, this is clearly an old dog. Uh, I'd explain that because it was like unnecessary exposition a little bit, but I don't think he like throws. I think he's scared and drops uh, uh, Angus, and he's like already drops dead at, at this point. Forcefully, like yeah, he's, I, don't <laughs> yeah. Think, it's a I mean, I don't drop. I don't think there's malicious intention. He's not yeah. like chucking him with some ill will, <laughs> no. but he's definitely scared enough to like slam this dog down <laughs> let's just be honest slam this dog like he doesn't shot put the dog you know like he just like it's i don't know i i personally didn't read it as like uh like he was like throwing the dog at the ground it uh, felt uh, aggressively throwing the dog away from himself yes he was scared but it, yeah i think it was i think it was a pretty hard throw for this dog i yeah. blame terry for that dog's death absolutely Listeners, watch this movie. Decide. Did he drop or throw the dog? Uh, I'm curious as to thoughts. Uh, I'd, I'd put a poll out, but nobody would answer it, and, and I'd probably get banned from Twitter. <laughs> uh, I don't know. Like, I didn't. I didn't personally read this as malicious. This is all quite interesting to me. I almost want to go back and watch the scene to kind of like see it from that perspective. But uh, uh, alas, I, I do love how quickly Glenn gets over it the next day. Like, <laughs> it's, it's incredible. <laughs> he was really old. Do you want to come over later and mess around? Which, you know, as I'm saying, it sounds pretty sexual. Uh, <laughs> uh, I don't know. But like, it, it's a very, very funny scene. I do like how casual he is about it. Because, like, I also, like, we lost our dog, I think, when I was, like, five. And I didn't understand, like, the gravity of, like, what was being said to me. Like, my, my I think I was playing Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. My mom came in and said our dog was dead. And I was like... Yeah, okay, whatever. Like, I just kept playing video games. I mean, I'm not a sociopath. I just didn't understand, like, what that meant. Uh, so uh, I kind of, like, understand Glenn's perspective. Uh, but uh, how old do you think he's supposed to be? I have a hard time judging age. Um, I'm going to give him 11. 11? Okay, okay. I, I don't know. I have a hard time. I think that that's probably uh, around yeah. where where he is yeah yeah it's funny because like terry is his friend is uh, i believe meant to be like the same age and i find that terry looks much older uh i don't that's think me. so i think they oh, look really? similar ages 
This I think it's just because Terry's like into cool stuff like rock and roll, so maybe he seems more <laughs> mature. Whereas Glenn is all like, "Ah, my rockets!" Like, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I think they're the same age, though. So. Were you, um, you ever into rockets? No, I wasn't. No. <laughs> That was the fucking reaction right there. The scoff. <laughs> Me no. <laughs> like rockets. What kind of nerd do you think I am? <laughs> I will know. just say that the death of poor Angus is just one of the many, many, many situations in this film that I think would have warranted the, ki- the kids to call their parents yeah. and be like, you guys should come home now. And I understand that part of the conceit here is that the sister wants to party and have her friends over and has a crush on a boy. So she doesn't want her parents to come home, but I feel like she's represented as a responsible kind of babysitting good kid type. So like yeah. if your 17 year old family dog dies, I feel like that's a call to your parents I don't know. Yes. Maybe I'm just too much of a brown noser, but no, I'm, I'm with you. Like you said, multiple times throughout the movie, it's like, just why aren't you just calling call. your parents? Call your parents. <laughs> and I mean, ob- the obvious re- retort to that is that if they called their parents, there would be no movie. But like, perhaps they could have built something more convincing into the script for not calling their parents. I don't know. And then Al uh, straight up dips to go to the mall. Yeah, I believe. Yeah. Which is also yeah. no one cares about Angus. Yeah. Poor yeah. Angus. I know. Uh, Justice for Angus. Yeah. 100% handle this dog's death and <laughs> like po- like trying to bury him and everything is just, it's ridiculous. <laughs> By the way, this like weird B storyline of, uh, <laughs> we're going to get to it, but I was just, let me, let, let me uh, preface this a little bit. Oh, right. So, all right. So uh, as I said, Al basically goes to the mall with her friends. They're kind of goading her into going to uh, a bonfire on the beach that evening. Uh, but she reluctantly, you know, says, you know, no, the Angus just passed away. Then Eric offers to bring Angus to the animal shelter, uh, who's kind of like the person that she's interested in. Uh, uh, Glenn calls him an incredibly inappropriate homophobic slur. Uh, there are sadly three instances of this throughout the movie of different characters using it. So uh, heads up, if if that sounds like not your thing, don't watch this movie. Uh, not that's <laughs> not your thing. You know what I mean? Like if, if 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 you find that offensive and would be like a deal breaker for you, don't watch this movie. But anyways, uh, Eric, you know, goes to bring the dog to the animal shelter, and it's like like a weekend at Bernie's almost, where like the dog is riding in the, <laughs> the passenger seat. I'm like, this is a a weird uh, like side storyline for this film. Um, but yeah. Uh, Anyways, from all of this, we transition to Terry, where we get a glimpse of kind of like what his home life is. And we see that he's neglected by his father and trash collects in the kitchen. I feel like he eats pizza from a vintage pizza 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 box, uh, which will only be relevant if you're Canadian. I guess it's like a what, what would an American surrogate be like? Uh, not Papa John's, but. I don't know any American pizza chains. I don't know, like Pizza Hut. It's like Pizza Hut, right? No. That's a bad it's example. It's worse than Pizza Hut. Yeah, it's it's cardboard. Uh, it's it's not good pizza. Uh, we are not sponsored by Pizza Pizza. <laughs> Nor will we ever be now. That's right. No, it's over. <laughs> Anyways, I, uh, at Terry at home. So it appears that he spends most of his time actually playing air guitar to metal in his bedroom, uh, which I love the sequence. I think it's a funny little moment here with Terry. Uh, and it's here that he looks at the sleeve to his metal LP and notices the same symbols that adorned their Etch-A-Sketch. Uh, we transition from here to Glenn, who's now left all alone. Uh, 
left to grieve about his dead family dog after uh, Al has left him. Uh, he's kind of pissed off, so he pulls out a birthday present from underneath his bed that he had for Al, and he decides to kind of open it, revealing a model rocket, of course. And frustrated, he chucks it behind the bed. And the only reason I really mention this is because it's uh, it'll become incredibly important down the road as like a Chekhov's gun kind of scenario. Unfortunately, annoyed by the constant buzzing from the bug zapper outside that's trying to eliminate the moth problem, uh, Glenn glo- goes to unplug uh, it just as he notices mist rise from the backyard, backyard sinkhole. Uh, he's then surprised by Terry, who's come by to reveal Glenn's problem. He's got demons. Uh, I love this. I think it's great. Uh, I love the nonchalant uh, delivery of of precious information. Uh, Yeah, I don't know. Uh, Terry then shows Glenn his extensive research, or more accurately, the metal band's record he had been previously jamming to. Uh, The band apparently knew how to open demonic gates, and after releasing the very LP cradled by Terry, the band died in a plane crash. Terry then says he believes they haven't made an offering to truly open the gate, so right now it's only partially open, which explains the weird waking nightmares. Uh, Terry then plays the record in reverse to reveal a secret message on how to close the gate. Uh, I like the preteen logic here that I mentioned earlier. I think this movie really benefits from the age of its central characters because you can kind of roll your eyes at their logic, but if you were at that age, hey, like maybe this is like what you would believe. I don't know if you guys kind of agree with that. You have Anna? Yeah, I mean, kids this? kids think the darndest things, you know? <laughs> Mitch, what about you? Is it, this is still boring to you, the boring section of the movie. Um, did what, where, where were you here? Yeah, I was looking at my watch and, and asking when is, you know, when is more going to happen? Because at this point, like, we're close to 40 minutes in uh, and really it's like there's a sinkhole and some weird stuff is going on but like not a whole lot and i know that demons are coming eventually uh, <laughs> so i'm sort of waiting for for that to happen <laughs> mitch but, is uh, getting impatient for the demons. yes definitely well, especially because demons. i know that the runtime is so short like i know this yeah. is an 85 minute movie and i feel like you know at the 40 minute mark the demons should be here <laughs> that's fair <laughs> i will say that i also found the beginning or first half to be a little bit slow although not nearly as slow and boring as you found it but for me that was kind of enticing like I still don't yet hate the movie at this point and for me the 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 slow movement and build up and vague clues about supernatural things happening whether it's the ghost of the mom or Angus or the pit or whatever like I'm kind of slowly getting curious and excited and I'm I'm be it's enticing uh, there's a buildup and I'm like, okay, we're going to find out more about these. So I think for me, it was more of a buildup than a slow, boring vibe. Right. But then I think the reveal for me was just like, oh, come on. And we'll get to that. So, oh, we will. So um. yeah, it wasn't too, too boring, but it definitely set something up that was later completely dissatisfying to me. Well, speaking of wasting first act time, uh, we then cut to Eric, who failed in bringing Angus to the dog, uh, Angus the dog to the animal shelter, on account of it being closed, and then buries the dog in the sinkhole as an alternative. And at this point, what a jerk! I know, really? Who does that? He sucks. He sucks. Uh, Eric, played by Sean Fagan. Uh, Yeah, not not a great guy. 
Um, I should also mention that at this point, they've used a little bit of like the siding of of the uh, the treehouse to kind of cover it as well, so the sinkhole isn't actually exposed. Uh, this will become more important later on, but uh, just a little bit of like context. So if you don't watch this movie, at least you can understand the you know the visual uh, language of what's all happening. Um, anyways. Uh, Terry and Glenn head back to the sinkhole to deliver their sermon to close the gate, uh, basically using the knowledge they've accrued from their metal LP. Al ends up coming home and surprising the boys with a present, however, uh, which is a, you know, a new rocket, obviously, because <laughs> what else do these kids <laughs> yeah. do? Uh, the group assembles it and then sets it off, and it seems Glenn may have reconciled a bit of his relationship with his sister, as, you know, he's he's seen that she kind of spent all of her money on this rocket versus like shopping at the mall and has come back to spend time with him. It's kind of a, a nice moment. And I do really like the relationship that they've set up between the two of them. It's like easy to understand they exist between, you know, there's like a, a maybe like a six year difference in their age and they're kind of like progressing at different moments in their life. And they're just separating a little bit right now. And I think it works really, really well. Um, but anyways, that evening, Al's uh, kind of set up a slumber party with her pal, uh, her pals, the Lee sisters. Glenn, again, left to his devices, roots through the closet with Terry screwing around with the family shotgun, illustrating the need for stiff gun legislation, guys. Definitely, yeah. <laughs> this is, like, wild. Uh, I, don't, I don't think you... It's, like, such a weird moment in the movie where it's almost kind of, like, that's played kind of fun, but I, I read it as, like, I find guns, like, deeply upsetting in general. Uh, so when I see like a child playing with one, even in like a film where it's clearly a fake prop weapon, it just like, I find it very off-putting personally. Uh, so very affecting for me, uh, didn't work as uh, a, a comedy bit, but you know, anyways, Glenn comes across uh, a huge model rocket as he roots through the closet, one that he believes had been gone long ago. Uh, again, this is like another Chekhov's model rocket in this movie. Uh, <laughs> just like, I, I they could have pared all this down, like the and used the one that he had thrown behind his bed. I don't know why yeah. there's like the rocket here. I don't know which rocket is which rocket anymore. There has to be multiple rockets because the later attacking of the demons requires it. But it is a little much. It's a little <laughs> He's annoying. Like a rocket sociopath, like he only cares about the rockets. I guess also in his relationship with the sister. Uh, but anyways. Uh, later, Glenn looks over the various drawings from the Metal Band's LP booklet, where we see a monstrous creature rising from the depths, as well as several little minion creatures that are attacking a ha hapless victim with knives. Uh, is this a sign of what's to come? Question mark? Uh, anyways. <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 I do love the creatures in this movie, and we're, like, we're, we're super close, guys. We're very close. <laughs> uh, we're so close that the next scene is the darkened depths of the main floor of the suburban home where we see a wall of family photos. However, they're obscured by a silhouette of a demonic looking creature. In the middle of the night, Glenn is woken when his blind flies up and is again taunted by the outdoor bug zapper going wild. Afraid, he tries to wake Terry, but he's out cold. Glenn wanders over to the window and tries to close the blind, but it flies up again in defiance, revealing a throng of moths coating the window. The glass then explodes, sending the moths screening into the room. Glenn scrambles out of, uh, out of, like, really, really quickly out of the room to wake up Al, who, disbelieving at first, quickly sees the shards of glass coating the ground. Noticing that Terry is still out cold, Al goes to wake him. Several nudges produce no response. Behind them, Terry walks into the room, rubbing his eyes. Who is under the blanket? It's none other than the poor, steaming, and very much still dead Angus the dog. 
No. <laughs> Justice for Angus. His corpse keeps being disrespected and mutilated. There's no peace <laughs> yeah. for the dead. I'm very upset about it. I have to say, um, I'm, I'm generally upset by uh, dog deaths or dead dogs, things like that in movies. Like, I have a dog. I treat it like a child. Uh, I find it deeply upsetting. But in this movie, it doesn't like I don't. It doesn't register for me for whatever reason. And I don't have. Uh, I I don't understand why that is. But you know. And the broken window. Another mm-hmm. instance in which you would call your parents. Where are the parents? Mom, dad. A window mysteriously broke, shattered in the middle of the night in the house. <laughs> they didn't want to interrupt the uh, the weekend, the romantic weekend getaway. Yeah, yeah. That was the intention, right? I, I, uh, when I'm doing the synopsis, I kind of like, I feel like I'm half paying attention the majority of the time, so I feel like I miss some of. uh... No, I think you're right, but I think this was my point: is that the the central conceit is that the sister wants to get with her fancy boy crush man, right? But and she wants to have parties and have her friends over for sleepovers and do you know be just be a teenager, but it's not enough. That's not enough. Like when your house is haunted by demons and your dog dies and a window shatters, you call your parents so there should have been something more or like maybe the phone lines die or maybe the parents are in another country like i don't know yeah. I, mean, I needed i needed more they yeah. get to it but it's way way too late i think yeah. Um, yeah yeah even if there was an attempt to call and you cut to you know the hotel room where you, the parents are staying and the phone is ringing and the parents aren't in the room just something to be like they've attempted they've made a smart decision here right. and it just didn't work um, but actually, you mentioned the dog not working for you, Stefan, and I think maybe it's because it's clearly like a stuffed animal. Um, and I think it looks good mostly, though, I have to say. Really? Yeah, I don't I know. It looks kind of goofy uh, when <laughs> he's the, like dragging it around and the, the tongue throwing out. it into the, into the pit. Uh, <laughs> but the scene actually oh, really worked for me. Yeah. Um, when they find the dog... Uh, you know, the dead dog in the bed thinking that's where Terry was. Uh, I was like, oh, okay. Like that kind of creeped me out. And then they back up and the creepy hands come out and, and try and grab the girl. And I was genuinely creeped out at this point. And this is the part where I'm like, okay, movie, now we're doing stuff. (laughs) (laughs) And the next scene is also really, really good. So let's get to it and we'll talk about it. Cause I, I do think the effects in this movie are like a plus good practical effects. I love all the stuff in it. But uh, as you mentioned, uh, basically, I'm, like a demonic hand tries to grab Al and the boys kind of like wrestle her free. They kind of like run downstairs to get the hell out of the house. Um, and uh, at the front door, as soon as they swing it open, they're kind of greeted by their mother and father. However, they're grinning a little too wide. And we know that these aren't the, you know, white middle class parents we know from the first act. Oblivious Glenn rushes in for a hug, which quickly escalates into the father attempt to strangle Glenn, uh, a moment I think is pretty effective. And then Glenn desperately tries to claw his father's face, which, you know, collapses, ushering on a stream of like milky ooze all over him. Uh, It feels almost like the there's a scene in uh, Prince of Darkness where uh, a character is like decomposing into like bugs and insects. And I think it's somewhat similar to that for me. but I, I think it looks really, really good. I don't know how you guys felt about it. Um, are, Yvonne, are you... W- w- I don't know at what point the movie kind of like right. stopped working for you. <laughs> well, I'll just say with regard to the effects, because the first reveal we have of the demons is the hands coming out from under the bed, right? Yeah. I'm not saying that they are good or bad effects. In fact, I have zero expertise on the matter, so I'm not qualified to comment. <laughs> but 
I think for me, the types of things that scare me are more kind of hidden and slowly revealed in the shadows and subtle and hinted like like when i see a full-on overt demon arm and it's like well lit like it's like brightly lit like i think (laughs) i think one of the things about the creatures is that they're too real in some ways like they're too in the film as kind of just characters walking around rather than you know they should be hiding in the hole or in the bushes or behind the trees or in the dark that's where demons belong that's where bad creatures belong (laughs) they're just too overt for my taste i was like oh boy these guys are really well lit okay um So I think this is where it loses me. I think the effects are like not to my taste and not scary at all and a little too obvious. But I did like the scene with the dad choking Glenn because because to me that's scary is to think that some a likeness of your father is actually some other creature. Like that's that's what really gets me. Um, yeah, this in is the, somebody in supposed the to protect genre. you. You know. Yeah, rather than like slimy arms coming out from under your bed. But hey, <laughs> we've all got our own nightmares, so that's yeah. maybe just not mine. Yeah, all, all fairy stuff. Uh, yeah, I think I, in terms of effects, I think I was referencing more of like the collapsing in on the face effect versus like mm-hmm. the yeah, like the, just good, the prosthetic actually. arm. You know, like that that looked really really cool in my opinion. But yeah, yeah. So uh, all uh, this movie is now uh, pedal on the metal. Uh, uh, we're we're getting going. Uh, <laughs> trying to find where the fuck I left off. <laughs> <laughs> the dad choking Glenn. Uh, our heroes rush back into the home as all the doors uh, slam shut and the electricity cuts out. And wrapped in darkness, Glenn rushes his sister, Terry, and the Lee sisters towards the back door in hopes of this being a safe escape. Al cracks the door to see if the coast is clear and then, with the guidance of a flashlight, checks the, checks the backyard out. Uh, unbeknownst to her, some of our little minion creatures highlighted in the booklet for the metal LP surround her. One of the Lee sisters opens the blinds and spots one of these creatures and screams out. Hearing this, Al makes a desperate bid back for the safety of her home as she's pursued by a horde of these little cuties. As she slams the door (laughs) behind her, Al manages to sever the arm of one of these anonymous minions. Just as it falls to the ground, it explodes into maggot-like creatures that quickly retreat back behind the door in one of the more impressive practical effects in this movie. Aghast, one of the Lee sisters collapses. Uh, and here we're getting to, uh, as we mentioned, basically, like, their their lifeline is a telephone to call the parents. Yeah. And at this point, the phone truly rings. Elle answers it, only to hear the demonic version of her father's voice say, You've been bad. The phone then explodes in flames and melts like something out of scanners, a movie Mitch loves so dearly in the narrative <laughs> I've created in my head. Uh, so we've had a lot that's happened here. Uh, I like the effect of uh, the little creatures. I think they look really, really good. I don't think they look scary, though. I think they look adorable. Like, I would want one. They, for some reason, I found them unsettling. Like, I agree okay. they're not, like, scary, but there was just something weird about them. That I was like, I don't like these guys. Like, it's, it's, like a hairless, it's, hairless version of my dog. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's there's something off about them. Um, it's like maybe it's the fact that you know they're people in suits and they're you know or because it seems like some of them definitely were, and then they just use what like forced perspective and sort of camera tricks to make things. Well, are, we'll, we'll, we'll jump ahead for a second actually sure. so uh this movie has the reverse of miniatures in it which is bananas it has like like four times environments 
yeah. like like a huge ass bed with a person in a suit running around <laughs> like which it, which is like the i don't know how like i'd be curious to know how that was pitched as like a way to spend like the money on the film you know what i mean like it, it's that would be a hard sell for like a producer like uh, uh to have that be the agreement that going forward this is how the production is going to go we're going to have like this huge environment and have a guy in a suit running around it, it looks great it looks awesome but it, it feels like it's like such a uh, uh, uh like modern day that would be like an aggressive waste of, of production dollars right mitch like <laughs> i agree, mean right? i i agree in in theory but i am a you know major proponent of practical effects and love yeah. that they were used this way because like it to me it's still like it holds up decently well with these effects and the way that they used the force perspective in these giant you know sets um, yeah. i think that that makes it so that it's you know more successful now versus you know watching something if they i mean cg wasn't really around you know 87 no. that much but uh but even if it was like early 90s you know cg wouldn't hold up nearly as well even if it was 10 years ago like i watch movies right. like the planet of the apes movies five years after they come out the apes look terrible um, yeah so i love practical effects i think that these things are weird and I don't like them, but they, uh, <laughs> they work well in this movie and the practical effects in general in this movie, I think are great and are part yeah. of the big part of the reason why I actually enjoyed it. Yeah. I think it looked all the stuff like there, there's like a, a scene towards the end that we'll get to where like a tornado is coming out of the sinkhole and it looks awesome. Like it looks so good. Yeah. That was uh, pretty good actually. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, let, let's continue on. Um, uh, but uh, at this point, Terry suggests they look for clues in the booklet of the metal LP, and so our frightened central characters head downstairs to retrieve said album. Along the way, we see the family photo from earlier, but Glenn is now surrounded by blood-stained and very dead family members. Once our troop comes across the album, and much like the telephone, it quickly explodes in flames and is rendered ash in mere moments. Desperate for a solution, the group decides to read from the Bible <laughs> the sight of, of the sinkhole. Uh, despite Terry's claim that these demons are older than the Bible, uh, from the sinkhole, we now see purple light through the slats of wood from the felled treehouse that's used to cover it. The wood frame quickly explodes, and smoke rises from the sinkhole as Terry recites his Bible verses. Uh, the same smoke begins to be sucked back into the hole, and the team believes they may have been successful. That is, until Terry falls in, where he's greeted by a few of our cute minions. Uh, they sink their teeth into his legs as well as his neck, and the ranks of the minions grow as uh, Terry attempts to climb from the hole. Uh, Alan Glenn managed to pull uh, Terry up using the treehouse's rope ladder. Again, Terry reads from the Bible, but quickly abandons it in favor of chucking the Bible directly into the hole, which then erupts in flames and closes. Uh, although, uh, could several pages of the New Testament close a hellmouth? Unlikely. Uh, <laughs> I, I like all this stuff. I think it's great. I like the uh, like young people using weird logic to solve a problem in much the same way like it follows. They're like, well, we're going to electrocute our, this creature in a pool. Like it doesn't make any sense, really. It's like a home alone solution. Yeah. Uh, I think I actually like stuff like that. I, I think it's like a realistic portrayal of characters trying to solve a problem. Um, I don't know how what you guys thought of this sequence at all. Um, you I mean, my 
my big complaint here about both the Bible and in general about the demons so far, and this will right. get to be an even bigger complaint as we go on, is you have to have some parameters for what the threat is and how it can be neutralized. Like you can't just, it can't just be any, you can't just be anything, right? Like, yeah. so are, so the demon, for example, the demons like can't get through a door, but they can shapeshift into your father like i don't what are their power like just i you know anyway they, they can become a corpse which we'll see later you know like they they can do a lot of things like uh, what can and can't they do and how do you defeat them rockets anyway. rockets rockets. <laughs> rockets yeah they're they're very ill-defined in terms of yeah. what their abilities are and how to defeat them it's it seems like it's just you know, whatever sort of creative idea they had in terms of getting a scare. It's like, okay, yeah, well, you know, do that. Uh, it doesn't really matter if there's any sort of rules or anything like that. So I agree with you. They definitely, there's not much uh, to them in terms of, like, like I said, defining them or what their powers are or how you beat the demons. Yeah. Yeah. I, I agree with all of this stuff. Uh, it, it just, I, I, for me, it doesn't bother me as much. Like, I, I'm, I'm cool if it's like, somewhat ill-defined uh it's just not a not a, a big deal for me but i could I, I fully understand your point uh in your perspective and uh uh let's continue on and see if uh this movie does anything to uh, uh elevate its position for you yuvana <laughs> <laughs> uh back in the home our heroes find the lee sisters cowering in a closet uh and then eric and a few friends kind of scare the shit out of al uh, Al, finally having had enough of kind of like his shenanigans, uh, kicks everybody out, inclu including the Lee sisters. Um, so basically we now have, it's it's Glenn, Terry, and Al left in the home. And kind of in true suburban fashion, uh, the way that Glenn and Terry unwind after all of these events is to huddle around the television, unable to sleep after the events. Uh, but it's not over yet. Uh, as I mentioned, a corpse explodes through the wall, and this is basically a collection of minions that kind of like create this, and it attacks Terry. Uh, this corpse manages to carry him back into the wall, which then closes up as if the events had never occurred. He's to become the first human sacrifice. I really like this because I like the idea of somebody being like ferried away into like a like nether world. Uh, and I like that it kind of like exists within the boundaries of this like suburban home. Like I, I find like that works particularly well. But uh, Glenn goes screaming for Al, only to discover uh, the demonic symbol scrawled across the stairwell uh, stairwell walls in blood. Uh, and in her room, Al sees the faint reflection of the same corpse in her mirror, just as Glenn explodes into the room. Uh, the corpse then crashes through the mirror. Defensively, Al chucks her boombox at the corpse. <laughs> it then collapses to the ground and breaks into a series of minions, which, you know, the, obviously it's comprised by these little little things. Uh, I like the effect. I think it works really, really, really well. It's just like, a, a, I think, like a, a dissolve and some masking, and it looks awesome. Uh, but aghast, Glenn and Al rush out of the room. Al, gripping the door closed, commands Glenn to go look for their father's rifle. Uh, Chekhov's literal uh, gun in this case. Uh, unfortunately, he only finds the demonic rat-faced Terry who bites his hand. Al comes to his brother's rescue and stabs demonic Terry in the eye with the uh, with a Barbie doll's legs. Uh, Terry disappears back into his netherworld. The minions close in, and Al and Glenn then seal themselves into the closet. Al begins to load the rifle just as everything goes eerily quiet. 
Our corpse again comes through the wall. Al manages to get a shot off, but unfettered, the corpse drags Al off into the abyss as uh, our other required human sacrifice. Glenn, believing he needs to use a physical weapon that is imbued with love, I guess. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know the logic here. I'm not entirely sure. Opts to use a rocket as a weapon against this new entity that's about to rear its head. Uh, so here, enter one of Chekhov's rockets, uh, which had been the rocket he discovered hiding in his parents' closet. Uh, unfortunately, now having two human sacrifices, the aforementioned huge demon explodes through the floorboards of the foyer. Glenn then sets up the rocket in time to stare this massive creature down. It essentially looks kind of like a big version of the minions. Uh, what, what were you guys' thoughts on this? Uh, did you like the way that it looked? Oh, I'm already out here at this point. Like, I'm already... <laughs> I'm both bored and confused. It's funny because Mitch was bored in the first half. I get bored in the second half because, and not just the giant creature. The giant creature is like number 17 of things that don't make any sense. Like, are they, first of all, is the man in the wall a zombie? So do the demons bring dead people back as zombies? So does that mean that Terry's mom was a zombie? No, she's a ghost because she's wearing a white dress. So they can bring back zombies and ghosts. The demons are little minions. The demons are also arms under the bed. And the workman can have a, a ghostly reflection of himself in the mirror behind Al. So he's also a ghost, but also a zombie. And zombies can be defeated by throwing a stereo at their head. Like, I just, I'm all, like, I just, we need some parameters. Like, I'm not saying these movies should be completely realistic and follow a certain logic, but you need some parameters to the threat. So at this point, I'm just like, I know these kids are going to defeat these various demons that come in completely inconsistent forms and have no predictable behavior whatsoever. I just want them to like, get it over with. I'm like, get your rockets, Glenn, get your, you know, Terry, do the ritual from the record album. Like I just, I, yeah, I'm bored. I'm confused. I'm checked out. I'm rolling my eyes. The giant demon is just like, the cherry on the top of my dissatisfaction, I guess. So sorry, but I had to go they, on a little have, rant there. No, but no, no, that's at okay. At this point, uh, I'm just like, let me out. I'm out. I, I do want to say they do have rules. Boom boxes work. Guns don't. So <laughs> take, take from that what you will. Uh, it then grabs a hold of Glenn's hand, only to release him. Glenn's eyes fall on his hand, and he sees that an eyeball is now protruding from his palm. Uh, thinking all hope is lost, Glenn looks out at the backyard where a massive tornado-like vortex is coming from the backyard sinkhole. Will Glenn prevail? Uh, I really like this effect, as I said a lot. I think it looks great. Um, but uh, at this point, desperate, Glenn offers himself as a sacrifice instead of his sister. Uh, and then, frustrated, takes a shred of glass and stabs his eye palm uh, Glenn then grabs the rocket from behind his bed that he had furiously tossed earlier. And this is Chekhov's other model rocket. Uh, he begins to ready it for use just as the massive creature again arises from the foyer. Glenn sends the rocket at the creature, which causes it to explode, sending Glenn sailing from the home. The thunder and clouds then clear. Uh, Glenn approaches his steaming home to see the massive wreckage and damage left in the wake of his demonic attack. However... All is not lost, as Angus, Terry, and Al come out of the closet, looking pretty groggy, but very much alive. So, justice for Angus, justice delivered. <laughs> Finally. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we close with good old Angus pulling Terry's shoe free from the topsoil of where the sinkhole had previously been. And that's the game. <laughs> All right, you've had a go. <laughs> you know, I don't have much to say besides what I already ranted about, that it's inconsistent right. and just... 
plods along and I'm just waiting for them to do the eventual defeat and the creatures are incomprehensible and whatever. But the only thing that I that was even remotely keeping me engaged throughout the second half was, man, are their parents going to be pissed when they get home? <laughs> and All we the don't stays. even get we don't even get the satisfaction of the parents coming home. Basically the credits roll as their house is a huge demon obsessed mess. And the parents don't, I just wanted them to get in trouble. Like that's, that's the only thing I was living for. And I didn't even get that. So that home is done. Like straight up. (laughs) It's finished. (laughs) You gotta tear that shit down. Yeah. So mostly I was just kind of like bored and disappointed and confused by the end. it, It was missing. And I assume it's because they only have like the talent for like, you know, X days and maybe, or maybe that wasn't even an idea, but it definitely seemed like it was missing that kind of like final moment joke of like the parents coming home and, and, and seeing the, like the, their foyer is destroyed straight up. And there's yeah. like weird blood symbols <laughs> you know, on your walls. Uh, most typically like most movies, like once, like, e- like everything is finished, the the everything about it like returns to normal including like the like actual like physical structures or something like that and this it, they just stay destroyed which i kind of enjoy uh but yeah i don't know mitch uh your 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 thoughts on like the final moments here what, what, what are you saying yeah i think that um you're, you're definitely not wrong about uh <laughs> about the demons being sort of ill-conceived and yeah. ill-defined uh i felt that particularly when the giant demon showed up and then the hand appeared, like he puts his head or his hand on Steven Dorff's head. And then he has an eye in his hand and then he has to stab the eye. It's like, none of this seems necessary for anything. Um, So it was kind of goofy. And you're right. I didn't even think about that. The parents getting them in trouble, but that definitely would have been a a nice touch at the end there. Uh, But overall, I think that the, you know the demons being ill-conceived and there being seemingly no rules for for how they work or how to defeat them anything like that um i feel like i can forgive the movie of that because i should have watched this when i was 10 years old and at that point in time i wouldn't have cared about any of that stuff like it's uh and so i'm sort of like yeah none of this makes sense but this must have been aimed at like younger you know like early teens maybe i'm not sure how old you were when you watched it Uh, this was gateway horror for sure yeah like i watched it when i was like probably i want to say like eight i watched it at eight i think yeah this is a good question actually is who's the target audience for this film at the time that it was released like a 12 year old i would say probably like uh like in 12 to like 20 or something like that i think would be like a good but like I do think like an adult could watch it and enjoy it at the time as well. Mm. Um, I mean, <laughs> maybe it's up for debate. <laughs> I like I do legitimately like it. I think it's fun. I think like the characters are great. Like the 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 logic of like the the demons doesn't really bother me too much. But again, like I do come with like the baggage of like the nostalgia, which I i don't care what you say. Like I can't untether myself from that. I'm gonna always no, I get have that. that. I totally you know? get that yeah i have um, movies like that too so that's that's yeah. perfectly understandable yeah and like the i like i understand that the 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 i thing makes no sense whatsoever but like if you ask me to recall something from my childhood that 
it was what I think affected me probably the most where this like mm. hit it. Yeah. He's like an, an eye protruding from his palm. I was like, ah, that's pretty cool. Um, and then he stabs it. And like, uh, like in general stuff, stabbing eyes is like, kind of, like it doesn't bother me, but I do find it like particularly gross. Um, so like that, that was all good stuff that really, really worked for me. Um, but yeah, so I guess we're Mitch. I, I feel like you're, you're going to give it a thumbs up. But what, what, like, would you recommend this movie? Yeah, I'd, I'd recommend this movie. I think that, you know, like I watched it, um, thinking about it. Like I said, as you know, this movie, I would have really liked when I was, you know, 10, 11 years old watching it. Same thing with like the Goonies kind of thing yeah. um, that I loved growing up. So like it's that type of movie. I don't think like, Again, most of my recommendations come with prefaces. So it's if you like those kind of movies or if, you know, um, you're looking for a sort of stranger thing, something that inspired that type of thing, definitely give it a watch. But you're probably not going to be scared by it. Like some stuff <laughs> can creep me out. And like like I said, those little things are unsettling. But uh, but yeah, like it's it's not like a terrifying movie, but it's a I think it's a fun enough ride once it gets going that it's worth a, a recommendation yeah i that's that's a that's a good response uh, i do have a question what are your guys thoughts on stranger things like are you, are you just like briefly are you are you yeah. do you like it do you not like it uh just curious i kind of generally enjoyed it but i didn't love it i know a lot of people were uh over the moon about it that wasn't me but i also feel like a big part of my enjoyment was just seeing Winona Ryder because I love her yeah. like that was um you know her return to uh my screens was really uh enjoyable but I think it's like a fun romp for kids in the same way that like I don't I don't hate the gate I would recommend it to somebody who likes movies like that so I feel like it's the same thing with Stranger Things it's like if that's what you're into sure Cool, Mitch. What do you, what did you? Uh, yeah, I enjoy. Uh, I enjoy Stranger Things. Um, I think that it's sort of losing its luster a little bit uh, as it goes on. Like I find less that I'm less interested in the goings on of the show, particularly because I don't think that the story that they're telling or what I think the story they should be telling needs to be right. four five seasons long. Um, <laughs> which I find with a lot of TV, it's you know like okay like be two seasons and then be done because that's yeah. really all you need to you don't need to keep adding oh and then the demogorgon did this and now it's like <laughs> all right like you know how, how long is this demogorgon gonna keep going on for but yeah uh, but yeah generally i enjoy the show and i've seen all the seasons cool actually i think i prefer the third season to the second which i thought was like uh, meandering and I don't, I don't think they knew what they wanted it to be i think it was a case of like we need to push his second season out as quickly as possible because this thing is like hitting and we want to like right. strike when the iron is hot. And I don't think there's enough development time to understand what they, what a second season should truly be. But mm. uh, I guess now that we had our Stranger Things tangent, Mitch, it's time for your awards. Uh, let's start with uh, our, our Pergies. Yeah. Is that what we're calling them? Uh, purgatories. <laughs> I, I, I believe we're, uh, we will call it the Purgatories. Although Pergies sounds good too. Uh, <laughs> Yovana, what do you like? You're the, you're the deciding voice here. I don't know. I feel like pergy sounds a lot like pierogies, and then I just get hungry. Or fergie. <laughs> I'll, I'll Fer leave you guys. Fergie pergies. 
uh, uh, per, uh let's do let's do purgatories right. i think it's it's it both sounds cute uh but is uh still intelligible sure. as, as to what it is so let's do purgatories so your purgatory for best performance um i went with uh my man and everyone's favorite steven dorf uh <laughs> bravo fully support that nomination i will sign i will sign on that petition for sure um yeah no i thought that he uh he did a good job in the movie he was uh a, a good child actor i i believed him and and you know he worked for me cool which doesn't always happen with child actors no not at all it's, it, can, it can go sideways very very quickly yes um but staying in the performance category who uh, is gonna get your purgatories for uh worst performance this was a, a tougher one uh because i thought that sort of three main uh characters all did you know pretty good jobs um i went with uh dad that's yeah. the name of the character uh, Dad. Dad. <laughs> uh, Scott Denton plays him, and that's the same last name as the. Uh, oh, no, never mind. Sister. Yes, yeah. as Christine Krista Denton uh, apparently. So yes. maybe that's just her actual dad, and they were like, "Hey, do you want to be in this thing?" Um, but he, he has a lot more credits than uh, than that, so it's probably he's an actual actor. But yeah, I found him to be pretty bland uh, in this movie, especially like really only has one normal scene, which is the the dinner yeah. table, and then the conversation about the terry's you know past mother and how he might be behaving awkwardly i just found it to be pretty wooden and and not very interesting to watch yeah the, the parents in general are like are poor yeah, characters they have nothing Especially to do mother, geez, yeah. given nothing whatsoever at yeah. all uh, okay cool uh let's do the reverse or sorry, sorry let's do the same order but four scenes now so your purgatory is for a favorite scene Yes, so uh, you know, you may disagree with me on this one, but uh, <laughs> I went with the uh, the scene where they discover the dead dog in the bed, followed by the arms coming out uh, to attack him. I thought it was a nice build up to you know getting into the bed, uh, like you know, creepy. Okay, and then Terry comes in behind. You're like, all right, what is it? And it's the dead dog. I thought it worked pretty well and I wasn't expecting the arms to come out. So I thought that worked for me as well. They're not great arms and yes, they are well lit, um, but I thought it still uh, was pretty effective. Um, so I, I thought that that scene was, uh, was quite good. And that's really where like, to me, like things started like kicking off. So that's why I appreciate it a lot more. Yeah. And the hashtag justice for Angus. Yes, exactly. <laughs> I will say that I like the reveal of the dead dog. I think that's a great scene. It's the arms where I'm like, oh, God. <laughs> kind of clunky. Like, yeah. From like, yeah, it just goes from like one of the best moments in the film to one of the most eye-rolly ones for me within the span of like 10 seconds. So. Yeah. I'll give an honorable mention to the levitation scene because I actually thought that that was decently effective in terms of him, you know, floating and being creeped out. Um, but the rest of the people's reaction obviously was not uh, quite as appropriate, but I thought it worked. Yeah, not mad. Um, I do have to say, so I don't know how I feel about using the dog constantly in scares. Like he's, he, he transforms <laughs> yeah. from uh, Terry's mother to the dog uh, and then the dog in the bed. I don't know. I, I, don't, I don't know how I feel about it. It's funny you uh, mentioned that because I actually, I debated putting my least favorite scene as the, uh, the weekend at Bernie's uh, guy tossing the dog into the uh, into the pit, but I went with the uh, 
the uh, abuse of and murder of Angus by uh, Terry. Uh, <laughs> I just thought it was a weird scene in general. And then it, it put me off for some reason. I was like, this dude didn't have to be so aggressive with this dog. Hashtag um, toss or throw. <laughs> or sorry, drop or throw. Yeah. <laughs> toss or throw. <laughs> so I put that. I mean, you know, there were some scenes where like not a whole lot happens and it's kind of boring, but that one just sort of, you know, was weird to me. And again, I thought that it was a little uh, a little aggressive with that dog. Um, and that set off the whole string of events. You know, Terry fucked it all up. But mm. uh, yeah. And plus the poor Angus, right? Although I guess yeah. he lives. Um, so yeah (laughs) (laughs) did he drop him or did he throw him i don't know what's that word for when you a football player does a touchdown and then no they do a touchdown and then they slam the spikes it yeah Yeah, that's what he that's what he does (laughs) then he does a dance afterwards basically I don't know, guys. I'm gonna watch it back, and uh, I'll let you know my my final findings uh, right. uh, later on. But for now, that's our episode on the gate. So why don't we all say bye, bye, <laughs> bye. <laughs>